Jesus is not in a hurry, even though I might have been in a hurry on that clip that Tina took about five years ago when the whole family was here together along with Betty's mom and spent Christmas in Almsdale with us. But uh, that's our theme for today, that God is not in a hurry as much as you might think he is, and especially from our reading from 2 Peter chapter 3 that we heard read earlier on. In this age of tech usage, we have become a I-can't-wait society. In other words, in other, we have become an impatient society, right? Hashley Hales notes the following, the time spent waiting for a message or event can be just as meaningful as the message or the event itself. So what we're waiting for should have meaning to us. She goes on to say that waiting ultimately reorients our stories. It shapes us. What's important to us and the story that's important to us should be shaping us into the people that God wants us to become. We are not the primary actor on a stage or on a clip, just watched, of our own making or choosing. Rather, God is the hero of the story. As we looked at on Wednesday evening at the term Mighty God, I'm heroes. God is our champion. God is our hero, so we need to stop trying to become heroes today. We will be content to wait on his work. Will we be content to wait on his work? And these in-between times, what character will be formed in us as individuals and as a culture? Technologies have given us a very uh, evil illusion of a godlike power and control, summing up any piece of information as such, just with a simple clip on your mouse, that you think you're controlling the world. What an illusion that is. Purchasing anything with a quick swipe and expecting others to operate around our own schedules. We are an impatient society. The British scientists have done a test recently concerning how long does it take before you get frustrated when your internet streaming starts buffeting? And you get that little wheel and it keeps on turning and turning. And they have come to the conclusion that the average person takes only 22 seconds before they become frustrated. That means some of you listening in are probably frustrated already. <laughs> 22 seconds. That tells us how impatient we have become as a society, as a whole. And we kind of forget that God is the one who has created us for a purpose. And that our God is good at waiting. We might be bad at waiting, but God is good at waiting. I don't know who here enjoys waiting. Waiting for their wife to finish shopping. (laughs) Right? Definitely not me. Or waiting for the doctor or the dentist to call your name. They give you a 2 o'clock appointment, but at 3.15 you're still staring at the clock because they haven't called you into that room where they leave you for another couple of hours before they finally get to you. No wonder it only takes 22 seconds for us to get frustrated and to run out of patience. Here's the main question that our text is wrestling with today. What's taking the Lord so long to return? That's what Peter is dealing with here. And why hasn't Jesus returned like he promised? Right? It's a question that continues to echo in our time and continues to be talked about people, and especially the people of God. What is taking Jesus so long? Right? 
So, and then in a year like ours, we can ask another question, how to do Advent when nothing seems to be worth celebrating? <laughs> uh, isn't that a question some of us have asked? Why should we even bother put up the tree? What has this year turned into? One commentator notes that any theology of waiting is built on two concerns. And number one, expectation. What are you really waiting for? In other words, will it be worth the wait? Right? And number two, response. So expectation, number one. Number two, response. What should I do in the meantime when I'm waiting? It's not passive waiting, it's active waiting. We've discussed this many times. It's not just sitting. It's being involved in the things of the Lord. So expectation, will it be worth it all? Response, what should I be doing in the meantime? And 2 Peter addresses these issues for us. He invites the reader to ponder the very nature and time of the delay of the second coming of the Lord. Is the delay of the Lord their fault? Is it our fault? Are we not doing what we should be doing? Oh, you guys don't like to hear that, do you? And if not, then how are we to live? And Peter gives us a simple answer. We are to live at peace, right? But what does that mean? Your waiting is a spiritual exercise in living with peace with God, living with peace with yourself. How many have peace with themselves? And living with peace with your neighbor. So with God, with yourself, and with the rest of humanity, whether you like them or not. Living in peace. Make every effort that's in your fiber of your being to live at peace with everyone. And don't forget yourself. And don't forget yourself. God is patient. That's the only slide you're going to see today. God is patient because we are impatient. And we need to be reminded of that. The delay slowness of God is not because God has forgotten his promise to us. God knows his promises, and God is a promise keeper, as we sang. Or because the promise of the Lord's return is untrustworthy, it's because God is patient with humanity that he hasn't come yet. Hello? He's patient with us. And God waits for all of humanity to turn towards him in repentance, another word that, that's very important in this passage. And I believe somebody needs to write a a song about the slow coming of Christ instead of all emphasizing the fast and quick coming of the Lord and we live as if we don't believe in it anymore. Is it worth the wait? Christ returned. And Peter said words that he echoes Psalm 90. A thousand years is like a day in the, for the Lord and a day is like a thousand years for the Lord. So the Lord is not concerned with the way we determine what time is or is not Right? And if the person was to write that song about the slow coming of the Lord, I would suggest it should be a blues song. <laughs> right? You know, like a, a thousand days is like a day in the Lord. A thousand years is like a day in the Lord. And then a day is like a thousand years of the Lord. ba ba da ba -dum, And so on and so on with a couple of lead solos in the middle there. A few years ago, another band called Chicago also sang a song, does, any, does anybody really know what time it is? How many remember that song? Does anybody really care about time? <laughs> right? I can't imagine why we got all the time enough to cry. Isn't it amazing that we have enough time to grieve, to cry, which is good? But we get impatient when it comes to the Lord's return. 
and the waiting for the Lord. See, the urgency of watchfulness, which is a theme of Paul, it's a theme of Mark, and it's a theme of Matthew, it's a theme of Luke, is something that Peter detours of or, or deviates from at this point. Peter's audience isn't sure why it hasn't happened yet, and they're confused. What's causing the delay? Haven't you guys wondered this? What's causing the delay? The way you talk, you do. You're right? It's the end times. It's the end times. Well, why? Why, why hasn't he come yet? Right? When I became a Christian 35, 36 years ago, everybody was talking it was the end times there. And now 36 years later, we're still talking about the end times. Because what happened in Peter's community was the watchfulness began to be something in the background, and they gave up. They gave up on trying to be ready for the Lord. Their watchfulness was gone because they got so comfortable with their own way of living their lives, with their own way of economic boom and so forth, that they just, just the watchfulness disappeared, you know? It was gone. Why is God taking so long? I mean, these are not new questions, are they? The prophets, they spoke this manner a long time before Peter wrote his. How long, Lord? How long before you come and intervene and take these Assyrians and Babylonians and Greeks and Romans or whatever came to conquest us? How long is it going to be before we see your righteous hand? Righteousness. Righteous hand. That God's going to make all things right when he comes. Is he ever going to get here? I know one thing for sure this Advent season, holiday travels and trains and planes and automobiles are probably out of the question for all of us. And patience, they said, is not the virtue of the youth. I think it's not the virtue of anyone anymore in the society that we live in. Very impatient. God's timing is different from ours. Look at verse 9, chapter 3. The Lord is not slow about his promise. Hello? The Lord is not slow about his promise. As some think of slowness, but he's patient with you. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not, that we're supposed to have as well. Long-suffering. Who could handle that? Can you handle that, being long-suffering? God has all the time of the world, and God is always on time, and he makes all things right and righteous in his time. But are we living according to his time? Are we living according to our time is the question that we need to face as people. All we have to live for God is this meantime, right? What, right now, this moment, right now, is the time to live for God in the meantime, right? It's the only time we know. It's the only time that the world is looking on us and they're going to say, if we really make a difference to the rest of the world about the grace and mercy and love of God, on how we live as patient people that are reflecting the patient God they serve to an impatient society that is going in a hurry-scurry pace in our day. See, God has not delayed the end in order to gather more sinners for the lake of fire. Sorry to burst your bubble. Second Peter does not raise the vexed question of how many get saved from the wrath to come. Verse 9 again, 
The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, what looks like tardiness to us, delay to us, it's mercy. It's mercy. This is a time of mercy. This is the time where we should pray that people will repent and find the mercy of God and be transformed. Not just repent, find the mercy of God and stay as you are. There has to be a real change through repentance. Real change. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus does not, and God and the Spirit do not, do not want to abandon anyone. Do you get that? No one. No one, not this one's saved and that one's saved and this one's going somewhere and that one's going to that other location that that's, has some fire or whatever and gnashing and all that type of stuff. This is about God's mercy. Don't you like that? I'm glad for God's mercy. Just because God displays patience and desires for all humanity to come to repentance, this does not mean that the judgment will be eternally delayed, right? It's coming. It's coming. But God's judgment is not something bad. It's something good because he's going to turn whatever's upside down, right side up. He's going to turn whatever is evil into good. He's going to turn whatever is unholy into holy. He's going to turn whatever was lost into something found. God's judgment is something good to look forward to. Hello? Hello? We should all be grateful and jumping up and down for God failing to hurry up. Like we want him to hurry up. Grateful that he's delayed this coming, that all may come to repentance and saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. That's good news, is it not? We can't box God in our chronology, in our world of TikTok. But nevertheless, in our world of TikTok, 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 God intervenes and comes and meets us. That's the beauty of God's grace and mercy, is it not? The church is called to live as if the kingdom is already here, and we talked about that quite at length in our time here. And Peter invites the church to change their idea of a vengeful God to a God who is patient and wants no one to perish. Is that your heart? I want no one to perish. No one. I don't care what wrong they've done me. I don't want no one to perish. Do you have the patience of God for the world and the love of God in your heart for the world? You know, there's mockers in Peter's community, and they're mocking them, and they're saying, oh, they used to be watchful Christians. They used to sing, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king, soon and very soon. And the mockers in the back say, well, soon is soon. They heard our speech, they heard our dialogue, they heard how we talk. You know, 50 years later, and we're still repeating the same stuff that we said 50 years ago, instead of moving on with the mission and the evangelism that God has called us to do. Hello? See, God's refining fire is coming, and soon and very soon we are going to see the king. And when that soon is, it's none of your business. <laughs> God is a promise keeper, and God is faithful, and he will come in his time, Right? You're just supposed to be doing his work and keep on your eyes focused on Jesus and moving towards that future that's already grasped your heart and transformed you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter begins to talk about God's refining process. 
And we have words in our passage such as disappear, destroyed, laid bare, melt, certainly seem to argue for a destruction of the present creation, but I don't believe that's what it means. And you can disagree with me if you want, but I know I'm right. Because if that was so, it would contradict with the passages of Romans and Revelations talking about a renewed earth and a renewed heaven, and, and God is making all things new. I know it brings up images of Sodom and Gomorrah and fire, but that was to eradicate evil. You understand that? The wrath of God is not really coming for humanity. It's coming to destroy the power of sin, the power of death, the power of evil. And if you're following the Lord of evil, then you'll be caught up in the destruction of evil. But if you're following the Lord of good and mercy and justice and grace and righteousness, you will be caught up with him. It's a simple question that Bob Dylan's sang a few years ago, decades ago. You got to serve somebody. You decide. The Lord of evil or the Lord of good and righteous and holiness. God does not simply want to burn up the world, leaving us disembodied souls in some kind of timeless eternity. That's Platonism, that's Stalchism. Go wiki it <laughs> or Google it to find out what those means. We're not souls of disembodied floating in the sky. No, we're waiting for a resurrection of our bodies. You know, the bodies that you have right now, you might not like them, God loves them. No matter what shape they are, God loves them. See, God has not destined us for the wrath. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul wrote these words. God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hello? He doesn't want to snuff us out. He doesn't want to incinerate us. He wants us to encounter his son and the beauty of salvation. Through the working of the Holy Spirit. That's good news, is it not? See, the images of fire has more to do with being refined than being destroyed. It emerges as a, a prominent theme uh, of, of what's going on in the Old Testament scriptures as well. The refining fire of Malachi, right? And then John the Baptist, remember him at the beginning of the chapter 1 of Mark's gospel? That you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. Remember Acts chapter 15 and discussing, you know, what happened at Cornelius' house and what was going on there? And they purified their hearts by faith like they purified us on the day of Pentecost. It's all about refining fire. Why would God destroy what is good? He wants to refine us so that we become holy like him, not come and destroy what he made us good. Cleansing prepares us for heaven. And cleansing precedes restoration. Hello? Cleansing precedes restoration. The cleansing is for now. This was one question that one of my teachers in Manchester always had. Why don't we talk about the baptism by fire enough? We concentrate on the Holy Spirit, and that's good. But have you been refined? Has all that is not of God been burnt and refined so that you can stand holy in his presence? Don't get impatient with me. But hear me right. Judgment is coming. You heard me there, right? Don't say Pastor Mike spoke there about there's no judgment, okay? Judgment is coming. But there's a process that we must go through first. Just as a shaft, which is bad, is burnt up, the wheat, which is good, remains, right? Hello? 
Jesus said that. Evil has to go. It has to go before God. God is not discussing, or Peter's not discussing a cosmology about the destruction of the world. He's discussing sanctification here. Discussing a walk of holiness. How ought you to live before the coming of the Lord? A holy life. A righteous life, a pure life, a cleansed life before the restoration of all things made by God. Live a holy life, not some type of purgatory after the fact. Right now, as we await the Lord. This is a hopeful word for the world in which we live in, for the world's evil and injustice. But why, why do we seem to, to lose track of this and get caught up with non-essentials instead of concentrated on what God wants to do for our lives and how God wants us to live refined right now. Once again, God is not an arsonist. Hello? And he's not an incinerator. He's a restorer of lives. And he restores by refining. And then he wants us to live at peace in verse 13 and 15. There's an overarching message throughout Scripture about God's desire to bring peace to God's people and ultimately the created world. The message of Christmas, we, we hear sung many times, you know, peace on earth to men of goodwill. Well, that was not only prevalent to the first coming of the Lord, but it means much more even today to us in a world of the vision, in a world that is polarized, in a world that we have health crisis, in a world that we have economic crisis, in a world that we have political crisis, and we have family crisis, and we have, we can go on and on and on. We have a world full of crises right now, and we need the peace of God to come in and intervene and refine all the foolishness that is going on in all those categories so that we can be refined by him, and peace, true peace, may come and rule our lives. But if you are an impatient person, this is never going to take place. You need to be patient and wait on the Lord and live in peace within your families. This is something that Malachi also spoke about, that fathers will be reconciled with their children or parents will be reconciled with their children, whichever way you want to translate that, and children with their parents. You know that family division is one of the things that God is speaking about here in this passage? They got, you just look at the history of Israel. Start right from the get-go. Adam and Eve, right? And then they're blaming each other whose fault it is for eating the tree. And yes, Adam was there while she took that first bite, so don't try to take him out of the equation there. He was there. And then you have their offspring, Cain and Abel, and they're killing each other. <laughs> well, one's killing the other one. Cain was, was the murderer there. And then you just go on and on, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you see this feud between brothers and sisters. You know, there was a study that, that certain women were having, uh, and this is the illustration that came out of it, and it was after Thanksgiving in the States, and, and someone said, you know, like, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Well, it was great to have our, our family together. Another one said it was pretty peaceful. Another one would, would answer the way Mark Rennie would answer. We had great food, right? <laughs> Right? You don't mind me picking on you, right? But yeah, great food. That's what he would say, right? And another one came up and says, family conflict. I dread it to go to the family, to meet one of my brothers and my sisters and my mom and dad and my uncles and aunts. I was afraid of the conflict that might arise in the midst of a Thanksgiving or Christmas table celebration. That last one spoke more truth than we care to omit. 
about the dreadedness some, in some homes, in our communities, and around this world that they dread a family reunion and a family dinner because of the foolishness that went on in the past. Or maybe not, it wasn't foolish. Maybe something really sad happened there. So what kind of peace ought we be? What should we do? Before the Lord comes like a thief in the night, and he is coming. You heard me say that, right? He is coming. And we know what goes on here, and, and for so many people have been glued to those, uh, I'm going to say it anyway, those TV evangelists that have a chart and say, this, it's coming now. And they had that chart 100 years ago, and it didn't work. And 50 years later, there's another evangelist that he's going to put a chart and he, there it goes, and then he didn't come. And then uh, years, you can see it on TV probably right now, or on YouTube, another one that's going to predict because of all the stuff that's happening in our world that God is coming maybe in the year 2021 in the month of May. And guess what? We go past the month of May and he still hasn't come. God doesn't count, folks. <laughs> if a day is like a thousand and a thousand is like the day, God is not concerned with counting. God is concerned with you listening to his voice. To listen to the voice of God, to do what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Hey, you got ears? Listen. God is saying, don't count. Listen. Listen. Come to repentance. I have a question for you. Are you a repeat offender? You know, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Then next week you do it again. Lord, forgive me, forgive me. Then you do it again. Why are you a repeat offender when God wants to make you strong and whole and holy? Repeat offenders. I put that clip from Rabbi Sachs that passed away a few weeks ago on free will. And he says the key to free will is to understand that God has given the people that follow him, whether Israel or us in Christ, a possibility to repent. And how do we know there's free will and it's not due to our genetics or our DNA? Because when we repent and we come to God, and for them it will be the year of Yom Kippur, the Day of the Atonement, and they ask God for forgiveness, there's a change that happens. So the next time they fall into that temptation, they don't do it anymore. They stop the cycle. They stop becoming repeat offenders of the same garbage that they do in it, day in and day out. And they trust in God, that God will strengthen them and empower them and make them go forward in life. But we have a lot in the church today, across generic speaking now, that like to talk about sin and we can do nothing but sin. But is that the gospel truth, that God wants us to be repeat offenders all the time? Or does he want to change us to prove to the world it's not genetics, it's not DNA, it's not my environment. If I come to God and I repent, and then the next time I face that situation, I don't do it again, I am free. I made that decision with God's power and God's help for me not to do it again. If not, I'll be still snorting cocaine, because it was good. Hello? Boy, there's silence now. <laughs> And it has to be that bad. We think that repeat offenders are addicts and alcoholics and so on. No, you can be a repeat offender in very calm situations by not loving your neighbor, by not caring for someone else, by talking behind someone's back. Even if what you're saying is true about them, 
You shouldn't say it. It's a sin in the eyes of God. Right? Okay, we're really quiet now, Lord. Give me grace. I like what this person said. Peace in the home is where the world peace begins. If peace doesn't begin in our own homes this Christmas or at any time, how is it ever going to go outside these walls? Hello? See, the primary purpose of the prophetic voice that we find in Scripture is not to satisfy our curiosity, but to motivate us to change our lives. Anybody want to change their lives? Anyone sick and tired of becoming repeat offenders? Falling to the same trap over and over and over again when God wants to free you and transform you and renew you and, yes, refine you with his fire. But it's good because he's going to burn out all the ugliness so that all the beauty of the Lord remains. That's a good thing, is it not? It's good news, is it not? William Willimon shares the following story about a pastor from Latvia. You know where Latvia is a country was part of the communist regime a long time ago. And there was a United Methodist, it wasn't United, it was Methodist pastor. And he talked to him afterwards and they shared stories and this pastor shared a story to him that, that after they were free from communist strangling or suffocation, uh, after so many years of being persecuted by the communist power and parties, they had an overnight explosion. Everything looks overnight, right? Because you never heard of it before, so you hear about it after, and you think it's an explosion. But they were faithful. And the person asked them, the pastor from Lafia, says, how on the earth did you manage to keep your faith? And the pastor replied, we always took the long view to life, <laughs> the patient view to life. When you look for the shortcuts, when you look for the short view, when you look to the impatient way to life and to living, you have no peace. When you look to the long way, the Lord, I don't care if you come now or I don't care if you come in a thousand years, I'm taking the long view of life, trusting in a patient God who's also going to empower me to be patient. Then I live in peace. I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> I'm not in a hurry. And I can take more than 22 seconds of a buffing circle when it's streaming. My wife is a different matter that way. So, the early Christians embraced the communal model of love, mercy, and peace. I'll bring it to a close. Are you patient? Truly. Are you a repeat offender? You don't like that term, do you? Well, that's what it is if you keep on... Asking God for forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over again. It's going to be a time when you get sick and tired of becoming a repeat offender and say, God, I want to deal with it now. Aren't you glad that God is patient? Aren't you glad that God is not impatient like we are at this present moment in history? It's the most impatient human society and human people living that has ever existed is our generation right now because of the quickness that things come to us. Yes, we continue to sing Maranatha, come, O Lord. We continue to sing soon and very soon. We continue to sing when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. But we do it with patience. Patience. Does any of your families need some patience this year in your household? Come on. Oh, these guys are not truthful, Lord. They're repeat offenders, I think. I like what Stanley Howerswell said, a theologian. He said, Advance is patience. It's how God has made us a people of promise in a world of impatience. 
The world is looking at us. They're trying to see if we're patient or impatient. <laughs> As Pastor Betty said, and we looked at it when we before COVID hit and that, that Bible study on do not be afraid and so forth, we need God's non-anxious presence and just learning to rest in the Lord and trust in the Lord and accept whatever the Lord has for us in good times and in bad times. And contrary to our beliefs, heaven is not about harps and wings. Heaven is not about halos, and I got mine, see? And pearly gates. Heaven is about restored relationships. Hello? It's about restored relationships. God with humanity, God with all of creation that is groaning according to Romans chapter 8. It's about the restoring of all that God created and brought back because God has come to make all things right to stamp upon injustice. And isn't, wouldn't it be beautiful this Christmas to have restored relationships in our families? Hello? In our society. And enough of the foolishness in the political world. It wouldn't be a great answer to prayer to see some of them really truly working for who they were voted for, for what they were voted for to do instead of bickering and hollering and do something good for all of us. That is peace. That is peace. Restored relationships. Not so much a location or a place, but where we are going to. That future is a place where Cain might surprise us, might be there. Because when God, when he ran away, God said, told everybody, don't touch him. Did he repent? I don't know. Neither do you. Right? I wouldn't doubt if he, if, if he did as God chased after him. We're going to be surprised in, in a lot of ways there. But I believe that that should start right here. Right here in our own families. So the world can see how peace truly is. Instead of us mimicking the world and it's all its impatient uh, spirit. I think God is saying, I'm patient. This Advent, I dare you to be patient and stop being a repeat offender. We need the refiner's fire. As the worship team comes. Just bow your heads. I'm going to read a prayer that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Whether he wrote this or not, we've sung it many times. It definitely captures his heart for ministry. And as we, before we sing Refiner's Fire, I pray that you would check your hearts now. See if you are patient or impatient. See if you need some refining fire in that category. Ask God to show you where you are a repeat offender. <laughs> and confess to God. He's not going to blow you off the face of the earth. He wants to make you whole. He doesn't want to leave you broken. Accept what the Lord has for you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. 
to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's stand.